Turn in your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. A Dutch astronaut named Andre Kuipers recently in an interview told about a time that uh, he accidentally dialed 911 while orbiting the Earth. Here's, here's what happened. I guess it, making a phone call from, from, a, from outer space is actually not that complicated. You dial 9 for an outside line. That, that connects you to Houston, okay? That gets you out of the, uh, out of the uh, vessel. So you dial 9, and that gets you to Houston. And then, to make an international call, you dial 011, right? He dialed 911. And so as a result, he created a security alert temporarily in, uh, in Houston where they thought something was seriously wrong. And, and uh, Kuypers said he was uh, kind of disappointed nobody showed up when he dialed 911. So. In Jonah chapter 2, Jonah dials 911. He prays a desperate prayer, and it's pretty obvious why he is desperate. If you've been following along in the study with us through chapter 1, you know it's about Jonah, who is God's prophet in, uh, in Israel, about 770, 780 B.C. God told him, go to Nineveh and preach. It's an unusual request of God because instead of a prophet going to God's people, he was to go to those people, to, to the Assyrians. Capital city is Nineveh. And, and, and Jonah just recoiled at the thought of going to them. He didn't like them. And he said no. And he got on a ship going exactly the opposite direction. Well, God is rather stubborn. When he calls, and so he pursued Jonah by sending a storm on the Mediterranean Sea and putting that entire ship at peril. And Jonah is finally uh, woken up during this storm, and eventually the sailors and Jonah both realize that it, this storm is because of Jonah running away from God. And it all comes crashing down on Jonah And Jonah, finally in his despair, knowing he's caused all this, tells the sailors, throw me in and the storm will stop. They did, and it did stop. Last week at the end of chapter 1, we saw what God was doing in the lives of these pagan sailors as they worshipped the true God for the first time. That's verse 16. But what was God doing for Jonah? Let's pick it up in verse 17 of chapter 1. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. This really happened. The God who raises the dead can certainly preserve someone alive any way he chooses. And what follows is, Jonah then recalling later how he prayed as he was about to drown. Verse 1, chapter 2. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. 
So Jonah is recalling his sudden prayer when the sailors threw him into the sea. This is Jonah chapter 2, but I kind of uh, was thinking it's almost like it's Jonah chapter 5. There's only four chapters in Jonah, but this is really the story, the epilogue. This is what happened, this is evidence of what happened after chapter 4. Because as you, as you end the book of Jonah, you find that God is rebuking Jonah for a bad attitude towards Nineveh and their repentance. I believe Jonah wrote the book of Jonah, but there's no way he could have written this book or told of his prayer if Jonah had remained a bitter, unrepentant, you know, love Jews only kind of a guy. The prayer that we now see in verses 2 through 9 is a psalm, actually. It's, it's written in the same form as the thanksgiving psalms of, of the book of Psalms by David and others. A thanksgiving psalm, and there's various types of psalms, but a thanksgiving psalm has these elements, four things. A crisis, a prayer, an answer, and then the uh, response of the worshiper to, to vow or praise God. And we see these elements in this psalm repeatedly. We're looking at really the first three elements, the crisis, the prayer, and the answer uh, take place. So it's a Thanksgiving psalm. What kind of people write Thanksgiving th- psalms? Thankful people. And that is not how Jonah ends the book in, in chapter 4. But this is Jonah later, who is reflecting now with great thanksgiving what God has done for him. So Jonah actually has a good ending. This is the good ending. It's what he learned. It's, it's, his, it's his new attitude of gratitude for God's grace. And what I think this psalm is doing is inviting us to join Jonah. While we are in the situation this prayer will describe, whatever it is that is desperate in our lives, that we would join him in knowing this is what God is doing. And so it's a prayer really uh, that is beginning a process of repentance. We could call it brokenness. Brokenness starts when we are desperate. And so he prays in desperation as, his, as he, the sailors throw him overboard and he hits that cold water. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From the depths of the grave, I called for help and you listened to my cry. Distress, total turmoil. He he was in a turmoil not only physically at this moment, but he is coming from this spiritual, emotional turmoil knowing his sin, his rebellion is what has caused all this. So it's guilt and despair and, and I'm going to die And so he got to the point on the ship where he says, just throw me over. I want to die. I want to end it all. It's suicidal. We must never minimize the feelings of despair when uh, people contemplate suicide. I think we would be surprised that far more people have considered that than we could ever realize. Fortunately, many who get to that brink never follow through. Jonah is recalling, though, his thoughts as he was in that emotional state. 
And suddenly, all he wanted to do was live. He cries out in his distress. And there is this, this shock of the desperation that though he wanted to die, now he suddenly wanted to live. That's a God-given desire. God plants in us, in our human conscience, the value of human life. Somewhat parenthetically, it's why it is such a great tragedy what we've heard just this week that the state of New York would approve abortion until the time of birth. Because that's a, that's a seared conscience that does not understand God's value on human life as distinctive in the image of God. It's a God-given desire to value life, unborn life, aged or disabled life, or our own life when we're in despair. That's God-given. For Jonah, what what brought on this revelation of I want to live was hitting the water and it's like he came to his senses emotionally at least help God did God hear that's his point he answered verse 2 he listened to my cry the passage says from the depths of the grave or you may have the term sheol sheol is a Hebrew term it doesn't exactly describe hell as an eternal destination. It doesn't describe the cemetery as the physical, earthly destination. It really describes the, the darkness of, of death itself. It's, it's, it's like the word grave. I, I, was, I was at the point of, of dying, and I prayed in my desperation, and you listened. You heard. You responded. That's what he remembers. Remember, this is a Thanksgiving psalm. I mean, you realize he didn't actually write this in the belly of a fish. <laughs> he, he wasn't... No, he was writing later. He was, he was sitting at some desk with pen and, and, and parchment rolled out in front of him, and he is recalling with gratitude what God has done for him. Do you have memories like that of desperate times? When you were at the bottom, and yet if you think back, you go, look what God has done. Maybe he literally preserved your life when you could have lost it. Maybe you were even at a point of desperation where you could have harmed yourself and he spared you. Maybe it was some other type of, 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 of serious crisis, but you didn't do what you could have done. You could have said something that would have destroyed a relationship. You could have, you could have walked off the job, but you didn't. You, you survived. Your marriage survived, whatever it might be, and you're grateful. Why, why did God hear and answer that prayer? It's simply because God loved Jonah. God loves you. If we ever doubt the love of God in those desperate times, we only need to go back to the cross and realize God so loved the world that he sent his son to die for us. If he did that, why would he change his attitude towards us in some distress? Because that is his bottom line attitude towards us, a love and a compassion. And so as his children... 
maintains that through all the situations. Now, another reason that God answered this prayer, though, as we saw last week, is that God wanted to use Jonah. God wastes nothing. And God did not turn to some other prophet. He wanted to use this prophet. He was going to transform this man. And I think somehow the true impact of Jonah was not just upon Nineveh, but here we are almost 3,000 years later. We are impacted by Jonah. God was going to use exactly what he went through and the process. And we are, that's why we're invited to join that process in this psalm to think through the, the spiritual transformation that is beginning in him while he's in the distress, while he is in the water. And so he is, he is desperate, yes, physically, but he's also desperate spiritually, emotionally, the guilt, the misery. Verse 3, you hurled me into the deep. Now, technically, did God do that? But the sailors did it, right? But he was fully realizing my sin created this discipline that I am tossed into this water. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves, yours, your waves and breakers swept over me. I said I've been banished from your sight. Then he says this, yet I will look again. Yet I will look again towards your holy temple. So these, many times uh, a psalm will, will use uh, poetic metaphors, right? There's kind of a mix because this is very literal. It is God's waves and breakers in this storm. This, it's his body in a, in a turbulent, stormy water, gasping for air, swallowing some water. He's terrified and he realizes above the physical desperation he's at, that, God, you, have, you are disciplining me. I've been banished from your sight. The uh, Hebrew expression, banished or expelled, driven, is, is used just a couple times. Israel being expelled from, from it's always a negative thing. Uh, Israel being expelled from Egypt. Uh, Job describes it as being banished or, or excluded from society when he was in his, with all of his boils. King Nebuchadnezzar was expelled from the palace when he had that mental illness where he thought he was an animal. Fascinating story. And then it's used here of Jonah. And, and Jonah realizes, I've, I've, been, I've been expelled from your sight. And pain, guilt, misery, suicidal thoughts. But suddenly as he's tossed in that water, he desperately wants to live. It's that regret that comes as he goes from wanting to take his life to desperately wanting to live, that God-given desire. And, and so in verse 4 we see that first ray of hope. Yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The temple was basically equivalent in the Jewish mind to the presence of God. Yet I will be in your presence 
uh, again. I want to go to the temple. I'm sure that as a prophet, though he was from northern Israel, I'm sure he went down to Jerusalem at some point. He, he, he longed to be at the temple where, where worship would take place. It's interesting to, to compare this to the uh, prayer of Solomon when he dedicated the temple. It was 200 plus years earlier when uh, Solomon had just built the, the new temple and he had this incredible prayer during the, the wise era of Solomon's life. And he prays this about turning towards God and turning towards the temple in a time of sin. Referring to the nation, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive, yet if they turn their heart and pray to you toward their land, which you gave their fathers, the city, that's Israel, or Jerusalem, that you have chosen, and the house, that's the temple, that I, Solomon, have built for your name, then, God, hear from heaven from your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Solomon realized that the temple was a place where God showed his forgiveness. That's what the sacrificial system was about over and over and over. God showed his grace and his, his forgiveness. And so Solomon said, we as a nation, we're probably going to come to that time where we as a nation are rebelling against you and, and you may have to banish us. You know what? That's exactly what happened. And so a couple of years after, a couple of centuries after Jonah is when the nation, the Ju- Judah and Jerusalem is destroyed by the Babylonians and, and most of the leaders are all taken captive to, to Babylon. And this very thing happened, but did they stay in Babylon? After a 70, no, after a 70-year captivity, they came back. That's the story, uh, that's, the, that's the, the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And so exactly what Solomon said could happen, did happen, Jonah certainly knew about the passage of scripture that we've just read. And Jonah realizes that God is a God of forgiveness. And so he applies it individually as we should this morning. That there is a time when we are desperate and we call upon God. And so it could be that the only real characteristic of God that Jonah was was thinking of at that moment, he is clinging to what he knew from the past. God is gracious and I will rely on God's grace and I will yet be delivered and and so by faith he prayed this desperate prayer I don't know if we could say that Jonah really has repented at this point repentance takes different forms sometimes repentance is a crisis moment where in a sense our whole life changes directions because we have to leave a complete lifestyle mindset. Uh, my dad's story in, in his early 20s is that, is that kind of repentance. But do you know that repentance is something I think that we are to make a, a part of our life throughout our, our Christian life. It'll be a series of realizations where we go, oh, I can't think like that anymore. Oh, I can't do that anymore. Oh, I need to be focusing on this. And it's like these, these aha moments where, 
our mind is changed, our direction is changed. To repent means to turn. And, and so I, I think this is like the first step of an ongoing realization because we know from the rest of the book of Jonah that Jonah wasn't there yet. But every journey starts with a step, right? This is that step. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book once. The title is Three Steps Forward, Two Steps Back. And that's so much what our Christian life looks like. But Jonah had to start with this step. When he no longer wants to run from God, that's chapter 1. Now he's running to God. Do you see the irony of that? In the first chapter, he writes, he's going to, he's going to flee from God. He tells the, the sailors, I'm fleeing from God. And suddenly, what does he want? I want to run to God. I, I want to be in his temple. Through the years, I think one of the most exciting things for me as a pastor is when someone who has been uh, maybe avoiding God in some ways for sometimes years or decades walks through our doors because God has put it in their hearts to avoid Him no longer. And that's where uh, I like the name of our church, Open Door, but we have to have that attitude of open arms because that is God's attitude of welcoming. Very recently, uh, someone in the community that we've helped occasionally uh, came in and, and asked me, why haven't you given up on me? Meaning the church. And it's one of those moments where you go, hmm. And we sat down and I was able to share the gospel with someone who assumed God had given up on them. That's not God. And God's arms were open. God listens when we're miserable. Jonah chapter 4, Jonah knew that God was gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love. That's why he could go there when he was in that crisis. So what's your view of God? Is it that you can go to Him no matter what? Desperate prayers, guilty prayers, verses 5 and 6, it's like it's impossible prayers. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. This is a very graphic description of what it feels like to drown. There are some Bible scholars who believe that Jonah actually died and God resurrected him. Of course, that's entirely possible. Uh, There are some ten resurrections recorded in the Bible outside of the resurrection of Christ. Three of them are in the Old Testament, so it could be. Uh, Elisha raised the uh, Shunammites, or rather the widow's son, and Elijah did, and then Elisha raised the Shunammite's son, and then there's a fascinating story 2 Kings 13, where God raised a man whose bones were thrown into Elisha's tomb. 
and the guy came alive. Or rather, the body was thrown where Elisha's bones were. And God can raise the dead. There's no doubt about that. I tend to think, uh, opinion, that uh, he was at the point of death. He seems to be conscious and remembering every part of getting to that point. The engulfing waters surrounded, closed over me. The seaweed was wrapped around my head. That was underground, those underwater plants, rather. And I went to the roots of the mountains. What mountains? There's mountains down there in, in a sea, isn't there? Um, the, the highest mountains are actually not Mount Everest, Highest mountains begin in the sea, and, and I guess the highest one actually is, is one that peaks in a volcano in, in, in Hawaii. Mediterranean Sea is some, uh, it averages about a mile deep. Some places it's three miles deep. And so there were these kind of structures, and, and Jonah is envisioning what he went through and what he saw, and, and he, he was pushed to the bottom, the, the, uh, the earth beneath me, barred me in. It's like now he's picturing it like a city with gates. He says, and I could not get out. He's, he's pushed to the bottom. He's strangled by seaweed. He's almost dead. This is the point at which in a movie, you know, you go to the commercial break, you know, and, but you come back and, and this guy is gasping for air and he says, this is the middle of verse 6, but you brought me out. You, you saved my life. You you." Pick me up out of the pit. It's, it's an expression that means uh, to, from the point of death and you saved my life. I was losing consciousness. I really believe in verse 6, that's the fish point. <laughs> but you brought my life up from the pit. It's the most unlikely delivery system ever to be saved from dying at that moment, you would think that, that Jonah was just hoping to surface and get a gasp of actual air. Instead, what he sees, perhaps, is this, this looming huge shadow and a, ship, and a fish swallows him. That's exactly what you wouldn't want to happen at that time. And yet, that's exactly what God would use to deliver him. God answers prayer many times in very unusual and unpleasant ways. Three days and nights in a fish is a horrible experience unless it's exactly what God says you need. Many times our, our worst things become the best instruments of God's grace, don't they? Getting caught in sin. You'd imagine the worst thing would be to be exposed, and yet it's exactly what is needed to become helpless, to become humbled, to seek help. A huge financial crisis. What do we do? And I know just in, 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 in our lives, Priscilla and I know that some of those, those days where you didn't know how to pay the big bill is where you experience the grace of God in, in providing, you depending, depending on Him, uh, learning contentment or whatever it might be. The crisis of a bad diagnosis that many of you have experienced, and you have you have shared how sometimes that the worst thing 
has become one of those best instruments of God's grace in your life or the life of your family. Even marriage crisis and conflict, certainly uh, we sin our way into those situations, and yet it is through those crises that, that God can work in our hearts where we begin to hear exactly the hurt and, 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 and understand our spouse, and, and God uses that to teach us. And so God uses the unpleasant things to become instruments of grace. Three days and nights in the fish is a horrible experience unless it's exactly what you need. For Jonah, it was the delivery vehicle. Verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. So I was at the very bottom, literally, you know, emotionally, spiritually. I was about to die. That's when I turned to you. It's like he's, in chapter 1, he had forgotten the omnipresence of God. He thought he could, flee, quote, flee from God. Now he realized, I called out to you and you heard me from your temple. <laughs> so while I, I was seemed alone in the bottom of the Mediterranean Sea in the belly of a fish, I was actually heard by you. You are everywhere. You, I can pray an impossible prayer. So God delivered Jonah. We know that. A desperate prayer. But we learn of the compassion of God as God swoops in using a fish. How did Jonah get from rebellious to compliant? A couple of principles. These are at the bottom of your outline if you are obsessive and you have to fill them in. Desperation makes us pursue God when we are disobeying Him or ignoring or avoiding Him. Desperation creates the opportunity. It's the draw, the magnet God uses us, uses to, to cause us to pursue Him. Sometimes it's when we were disobeying Him. Last week we studied the, uh, the principles of of God's discipline, which are sometimes, not always, sometimes directly related to sin, but God's discipline is beyond that, remember. But this one was. This was Jonah in rebellion. And God used it to bring Jonah to the place of saying, I really need God. God created the scenario to make him desperate in his disobedience. After one of the services last week, uh, someone said to me, I've always figured there's a fish out there with my name on it. <laughs> In other words, God, God will do what he needs to, to bring me back to him. Sometimes it's, it's not so much direct disobedience, but it's, it's the ignoring or the avoiding of God. It's when we notice how we are drifting from him. It's a more of a gradual thing. I'm pretty sure we've all experienced that. Casting Crowns does a song called Slow Fade. It describes 
uh, how we can gradually drift from God, drift from holiness, from purity. We make compromises. We defend gray areas. Black and white turns to gray. The song says, people never crumble in a day. It's a slow fade. A friend of mine from, from college is a missionary in, in Brazil, and he's been posting this week about the uh, dam that broke in Brazil and some 40 bodies found already, some 300 missing. And I saw a video of the dam breaking. That didn't, it happened in a moment. But, but somehow the integrity of that dam was being compromised silently. Do you know times that you become essentially bored with God? Bored with God's word? Maybe even bored with God's people? And there's an erosion of the soul. What do you think was Jonah's spiritual condition when God told him to go to Nineveh? I wonder if Jonah wasn't thinking, I'm fine, spiritually. We know from 2 Kings, God had already used him as a prophet. He'd been obedient. And he assumed, I'm probably okay, spiritually. But when God told him to go to Nineveh, something was exposed in his soul, and it was his racial attitude towards non-Jews. I don't want those Assyrians to hear the word of God and repent. That's exactly what we find out in chapter 4. But that had been happening in his heart. That attitude had been there. Do, Do you suppose that Jonah had been walking close with God the days, weeks, and months before God said, go to Nineveh? Was he meditating on his word and the words of his mouth and the meditation of his heart? Was he fellowshipping with other believers and talking about the word of God? I don't think so. I think there had been an erosion taking place in his mind, mind and heart that he didn't maybe even realize. And then when God told him, he suddenly had absolutely no interest in doing that. And there are those times we avoid God, his word, his people, we pray only in emergencies, and it's a slow fade. And it, it, it creates potential for more desperate things. Second principle, God's grace sometimes arrives in unpleasant packages. The fish, three miserable days. Why three days and three nights? I mean, couldn't it have been that, I mean, if it's just about getting Jonah out of the water and you wanted to use a fish, then couldn't he have picked a fish and a, and a, and a location that can be like, you swoop in, you get him, and you spit him out? Is it really just because, you know, he, was, he was, happened to be three days, a fish takes three days to get from there to there? Or No, God could have made it much more compact, but he chose that it would take three days and three nights. It was deliberately unpleasant. And God allowed him to to be in a digestive tract somewhere 
somehow with enough oxygen or miraculously causing him to survive because God was using that time to repurpose Jonah. Didn't want to discard him, wanted to use him again. He would use whatever it was that he would teach him during those days. This, we're, we're, we're allowed to, to peek at what was going on in his heart here in chapter 2. God's grace comes in unpleasant packages. Do we know enough about God and his core nature and attitude towards us as our Savior that when we're going through something distressful, we would give him the benefit of the doubt and say, this must be part of his grace towards me. The third principle, God is not seeking worthiness, but brokenness. Did Jonah deserve to be rescued? Did Jonah get rescued because God said, you know, Jonah, he basically has a good heart. I'm going to keep using him. doesn't say that. He had a rebellious heart. So, so he did not rescue him because he deserved it. God is looking, though, for brokenness. And he knew that it would take this for Jonah to be broken. Jonah's a strong-willed man. To, to be a prophet of God, having heard the voice of God, and directly defy what you know God wants. That's a strong-willed, disobedient man. And God knew exactly how long to hold him in solitary confinement. Jonah was saved from this terrifying ordeal only after three days and three nights because God was not only delivering him from a physical state, but he was delivering him from a spiritual state. And there would need to be this kind of time for him to think and to pray. If I were to ask a show of hands, you don't need to. How many of you think you're a strong-willed person? You know, probably get quite a few hands, and then after getting nudged, a few more maybe would uh, raise their hands. We can be pretty strong-willed, can't we? Pretty stubborn. God is more stubborn. <laughs> but there's a point at which God knows we would break in a good way. The Apostle Paul had to be broken. He was strong-willed. Of course, that's before he was saved. Untamed, Paul would have continued to be uh, uh, an uncaring man who could stand and, and support the stoning of a godly, innocent man who would go to houses and unjustly incarcerate Christians. That's who he was but broken and tamed. He became this powerful force that God used to plant churches throughout the Gentile world, world and, 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 and pen three of our uh, books of, of Scripture. And, but it took that blinding light on the Damascus Road. And how many days blind? Ah, three. <laughs> three days blind. Sometimes we have to be broken, and God knew that to break Jonah's will, he needed to hold him captive but safe in a great fish for three days and three nights. 
And this psalm tells us how very glad he was that God captured and held him. You know, I'm sure that uh, all of us at times feel like our prayer life is very, very inadequate. We um, get too busy. God seems far away. We begin to doubt maybe that prayer even works in any way. But then there's those times where things become desperate enough that we throw out all the excuses and we're just dialing 911. And we need to know the nature of God is that he, he cares when we do because he loves us, but also because he wants to use us. Let's pray. Lord, you know all of our stories. And you know whether we, today by your Spirit, have been thinking past uh, events in our life or present events, maybe even anticipating future events. Lord, we are convinced that you are a God of grace and that you are, by your grace, going to be faithful to work in our lives. And so we we do give you the benefit of our doubting hearts and we assume you're at work in the best way. Lord, we look back today maybe with great thankfulness at times in our life where you preserved us, preserved something very important to us or to you and your plan. And here we are today worshiping you. And so we celebrate that. So we, we join with Jonah in in thanking you that you have listened and you have heard and you have delivered and brought us to this day. And so we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.